What's going on, everybody, and welcome to episode four of the Did You Hear podcast. I'm your co-host, Emma Houghton, alongside Patrick Zhang, and we're super excited. We, we hit a month this week, Pat, four episodes down. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at Did You Hear Pod. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, download us on Spotify, and continue to interact with us. That's definitely the best part for us. And we're seeing some of that on socials, and we're super excited about it. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving week to to everyone. And thank you to those that have rated and reviewed our podcast. We really appreciate it. And we absolutely love the engagement on Twitter and, and things like that. It's been really great. And like you said, crazy that we're a month in. Episode four already, things are going. And we get to dive into one of our favorite and most passionate topics this week. Yeah, passionate is, is definitely right. So... Like we always say, this podcast is built around the idea of bringing you the stats and storylines you're not hearing on the mainstream news and sports platforms. With that being said, Pat and I are both Villanova graduates. We actually met broadcasting men's Villanova basketball games together through Villanova Radio, WXVU, shout out to them, hosting our podcast there. So we knew from the beginning that there was going to be an emphasis on Villanova basketball, and we're so excited. As college basketball starts today, the 25th, Villanova plays BC tonight, and today we're really going to focus on just previewing what we think this season will bring for Villanova, and we both agree that we are national championship contenders, and we couldn't be more psyched about it. Oh, absolutely. Villanova is definitely a national title contender and that really goes into how they finished last season coming down the stretch a seven and one close to the season before the season did end um, prematurely with, with COVID a 24 and seven team overall uh, coming off huge wins at Seton Hall and at Georgetown my did you hear that comes in with this team is that only eight teams shot better than Villanova as a team from three. We all know how important three-point shooting is. We all know how much Jay Wright loves three-point shooting, and not many teams do it better than Villanova, and it's one of the reasons why they're able to win so many games. Five out of six starters for the team last year that started at least 15 games shot 100 threes which it's you really don't see too often. Yeah, it just shows yeah. the versatility of the team that, that Jay Wright has been able to build. And remember, they're only losing one player from last year. Yes, it's a big player in Sadiq Bay, but they're only down one. Yeah, so Sadiq Bay, I mean, they're going to have to make up for those 16 points that he averaged. But I think Pat and I did a NBA draft, a little segment last week, previewing the draft. And our guy Sadiq Bay got drafted 19th overall to the Detroit Pistons. And I remember I was sitting there listening to the guys commentate as all these picks were going through. And the biggest compliment that was said about Sadiq Bey was that, he, this is in quotes, the best compliment I can give him is that he's a Villanova guy. And that's the essence of what Villanova basketball is. It's what Jay Wright preaches. It's the culture he's created. Again, we're not known for those top 20 recruits. Our recruiting classes have gotten better as the years go on. But Jay Wright really emphasizes, emphasizes cultivating these players and grooming them so that when they hit their junior and senior years, that's really where they come into their stride and start becoming these leaders. You saw it with Jalen Brunson. You're seeing it with Colin Gillespie now. But I just thought that was such an important thing for Jay Billis to say because the Villanova culture is what is bringing them into such national relevance with all the championships we've won recently. No, it, it definitely is. And another thing that was mentioned on draft night was that Sadiq Bey just had that, quote, Villanova edge. I mean, when was the last time you heard Villanova players described like that? Go back 10 years, you never heard them described like that. And then you've seen what they've been able to really produce the last couple of years, especially in the NBA. I mean, Mikael Bridges, Jalen Brunson, Amari Spellman, Josh Hart, Eric Paschal, Villanova has made their mark on the NBA. Now with Sadiq Bey coming at number 19. And to kind of show how they've done it and how sustainable this winning has been for Villanova, checking back at Ken Palm rankings um, for where Villanova has finished the season the last five years. First, second, first, 30th, 18th, and they come into this year fourth. That's an average of 9.3. That is sustained winning at its best 
right there. So uh, what Jay has been able to do with this team, as you said, it's more of an emphasis on player development. Mm-hmm. You really don't see one and dones from Villanova. The only one you saw was Amari Spellman, and even he had a redshirt year yeah. to go into it. So it Villanova kind of, it allows guys to come into their own. It allows them to grow in their responsibility. If they're young players, but they play really well, as you see with guys like Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Justin Moore from last year, Jay sh- has shown that he will trust them and will play them plenty. So it, it's kind of a, a versatile attack here from Nova. And it surely works the last couple of years. Yeah, and there's just so much less pressure on these young guys to produce. At schools like Kentucky and Kansas and Duke, these freshmen, if they don't live up to their recruiting standards, if they won an All-American and they have all these accolades coming in and they don't live up to that, it's such a disappointment. But at Villanova, you have years to come into yourself as a basketball player. And I think that's what's so important and that's what sustains success. So I'm super curious, and I wish we could have had the the playoffs last year. The the March Madness tournament was literally, I think the first Big East game was at halftime when it ended up being canceled and then the whole country went into a lockdown, right? Creighton-St. Lit- John's. Yeah, literally St. John's was beating Creighton in that game, number one seed Creighton in yeah. the Big East tournament. So that the Big East tournament would have been so fun to watch because there were so many competitive teams at the top. The March Madness tournament would have been so fun. And I wish we could have seen where Villanova ended because we were young, but we had the leadership of Sadiq Bey. He was the fourth best three-point shooter in the league, and that's part of the reason why he went so high in the draft. But this year, we're the third-ranked team going into this preseason, or the season starting today, really. But should we go into this game and this tournament against BC tonight? We're part of the 2K Empire Classic, which is a part of Bubbleville, which is taking place at Mohegan Sun, which is only about an hour from me, which is really funny. But I see this being pretty much a repetition of opening game we see every single year. Last year it was against Army, and I think we won by about 40. Nova leads the all-time matchups between BC and... 52 to 24 bc actually used to be a big east team so yukon is in the conference this year we're playing bc that's kind of cool but i think now that all of these leaders last year have matured even more and i'm talking about colin gillespie jermaine samuels demir cosby roundtree is more of a bench presence veteran presence at this point i think we can probably both agree on but i'm curious to hear about Pat, you're, I think we should both talk about some of our favorite players to watch and what we can really expect, some expectations for this season. Yeah, absolutely. So first, what, what I'll say with, with Villanova is that you kind of looked at it last year as they went into the season as a team that we looked at as talented, a team that we looked at as young, but you know, kind of had a lot of question marks going into the season with how guys would adjust to to coming into college basketball for their first year would people like Jermaine Samuels and Colin Gillespie be able to make that jump and, and really make an impact and I feel like kind of all of those questions have been answered now so you go into this year with, with this team there are not too many questions on this team the biggest one is how do you fill Sadiq Bey's 16 points per game I mean the biggest thing that comes out with with Bay is his efficiency when shooting the basketball. I mean, it felt like every time he shot, it, it went in. But that leads me into into my guy, who is my X-Factor, my player to watch, my basketball man crush, as any of you that know me with Villanova basketball, and that's Justin Moore. Justin Moore, a sophomore now out of DeMatha in, in Maryland. I mean, I could not have been more impressed by Moore last season, stepping into his role and really growing into it as the season has gone went on. And the, the stat to back that up is... In the last five games of the season, Moore played 35 minutes plus in every single one of them. As a freshman, I mean, that just shows how much Jay Wright trusts him. A five-time Big East Freshman of the Week. He averaged over 11 points per game. He's a good rebounder with three, three rebounds per game. He's a decent defender. He shot 40% from three. He's Villanova's highest shooting three-point shooter coming back on this team. Justin Moore has the chance to be an absolute star on this team this year, and I fully expect him to make a big, big leap. He will. And again, talking about those expectations and how there's less pressure for freshmen coming in, that wasn't the case last year at all. 
So, Pat, I remember Pat and I called a lot of these games together, and we're bringing up the stats about Justin Moore and Jeremiah Robinson Earl. If I'm remembering co- correctly, I think it was the first time that two freshmen were in the starting lineup under Jay Wright since 2004. Does that yep. sound right to you? Yeah, it was since very early on in Jay Wright's tenure here at Villanova that he started two freshmen. Yeah, so this was completely unknown territory for these freshmen, and all it led was Jeremiah Robinson Earl being named the Big East Freshman of the Year and Justin Moore taking home those honors five five times. Moore, the way he is able to drive to the basket despite his size and also have that dual threat of posting up for a three whenever is so lethal. Since the 2000 season of Villanova basketball, only four guards have scored more than 10 points per game in their true freshman season. The This four group are Villanova legends. Scotty Reynolds, Ryan Archidiacono, Randy Foy, and Justin Moore. And only Scotty Reynolds out of that group outpaces Moore in points per game and true shooting percentage. So he is an elite company anyways. And then what he's able to do with his speed, his minutes per game, I actually, this is something we definitely have to talk about who that fifth starter is going to be, but I see him being a spark out off of this bench, which we saw a lot of last year too with Cole Swider starting. But I think if Justin Moore can get better at finishing around the rim, he ranked last on the team in terms of finishing at the rim, those type of shots. I think that makes him truly a five-tool player who as a sophomore can be the X factor for this team. Absolutely. And I think that that's actually the the area where Moore can grow a lot in that he is silky smooth getting to the basket, creating his shot around the basket, maneuvering in midair, but plenty of times it didn't fall. I, I think that that's something where Moore can really improve on this year and, and help to increase his, his field goal percentage, which was at 42%, which is still not bad by any means, especially the fact he shot 40% from three. But I, Moore is going to be a starter for, for Nova this year. He's going to play a ton of minutes, and he's someone that I think absolutely has Big East first-team potential as a sophomore. Yeah, I do too. Um, so him as your X-Factor, and I knew it was becoming... I knew it was coming because I know how much you love him. I and love him so he much. Really, he's the epitome of that Villanova guy, really. However, I do not think Villanova will be successful if we don't see Jermaine Samuels absolutely living up to his full potential. So that's my did you hear. Jermaine Samuels is going to be the X factor for this Villanova team, Pat. I know it. Because at the end of our junior year, which was his sophomore season, we're coming into this year where all of those players have left for the NBA draft. That was the one exodus in Villanova's history where everybody left. We definitely <laughs> would have repeated the year after. Dante, Amari Spellman, Brunson, Bridges, all those guys. Jermaine Samuels finishes that season with that game against Marquette, where I think he scored over 30 points all over the court. He's shooting, he's getting to the line, he's physical on defense. And that was that was it. Last season, we saw some really clutch moments. I know that I can say the best game I ever called at Villanova was against Kansas back in December. Ditto. When Jermaine Samuels hit that clutch three, which led Villanova to beat number one ranked camp, Kansas. That was the best Villanova game I've ever been to, and we were lucky enough to call it together. But anyway, back to the point. <laughs> I digress there. We only saw flashes of that Marquette game, Jermaine Samuels. And he's seen significant improvement since his freshman season. So from a minute standpoint, he started six he played six minutes per game freshman year, 22 sophomore year, and 30 last year. Field goal percentages across those three years, 25%, 44%, 46%. So he's getting better and he's putting on more weight, which I think is helping him become more confident and more physical with the ball. Last season, just from a numbers standpoint, almost 11 points per game, five and a half rebounds, and he shot 27% from three. If Jermaine Samuels can get better from beyond the arc, if he is that Kansas clutch guy in every single game, he really comes into that three guy, that four guy, depending on what the matchup is at the time. 
But again, the three ball is the name of the game for Villanova. We're losing Sadiq Bey, who is one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA. If Jermaine Samuels can slide into Bay's role on offense and defense, because defense is just as important, Villanova's also losing their best defender in Sadiq Bey. He was the guy who goes up against Devon Dotson in that Kansas game when there's four seconds left and we need a stop. This is Jermaine Samuels' season to step into that role as a senior, and I really think he can do it. And if he does, I think Villanova is absolutely a number one seed going into the tournament and a favorite to win it at the end. And yeah, I think you brought up a really good point there with Samuels and that where I think he's going to make his biggest contribution this year is on the defensive side of the ball. He is now Villanova's best defender with Sadiq Bey going out. He's going to be tasked with a bunch of difficult assignments, and he's going to be a really important presence inside. As Samuels has shown, he is a good rebounder. I mean, average just about six per game, but has potential to grab double digits in in any given night. And I think that actually you are going to see his rebounding numbers go up this year to probably around that that seven range. But Samuels, I can't say I'm convinced he's going to add a ton more scoring. I think that you're going to see Sadiq Bey's points kind of distributed out with Gillespie, Moore, Daniels, Robinson Earl. If Brian Antoine can get healthy, I think you'll see him make a bit of an impact. I think Samuels is going to take more of that Swiss Army knife role this year. And sure, if he can hit some some big threes, like as we saw against Kansas, he did the same thing against UConn from the same exact spot a couple weeks after that. It, he's going to make a big impact on this team. I just think it's going to be more defensively and on the boards than offensively. Yeah, but the thing is, so... When you were talking about all those players putting up 100 threes, whatever that stat was, five out of the six starting rotation had 10 points per game. So that was Gillespie, Samuels, uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Justin Moore, and Sadiq Bey. Did I say him already? Nope, that's it. Yeah. So those, those five guys, they all averaged 10 points per game. If Samuels is already doing that, I think the logical step is for him to just add a little bit more efficiency to the toolbox he already has. And I think that comes every single I wrote down improvements for every single player. Every single one says be a better three point shooter. That's just that's just the name of the game. Everybody has to get better at three point shooting. But I think if Jermaine Samuels cultivates that physicality which again we've seen glimpses of we saw it against Marquette two years ago Kansas last year some games against Seton Hall if he gets better in that aspect of the game I think that automatically raises the offensive efficiency and then it also makes him more confident on the defensive end too Oh, he's dangerous, and I think the biggest thing for him is just to be able to show an ability to hit the three, which he can. He shoots 28%. It's not good, but it's not awful, so he he has the ability to step out and knock it down, but if he can at least keep defenses honest to be out there on him, his biggest strength is driving. I mean, you saw how he's kind of developed physically over these last three years at Villanova. He is an athletic monster. He can get to the rim. He's got some of the bigger dunks you see out of Villanova players. And just for him to be able to use that aerial prowess, that's going to be the best part of his game. So if he can just get guys to stay on him around the three-point line, he's A, going to open up a lot more spacing for his teammates, and B, going to be very dangerous around the rim. Yeah, and that's the trend for Villanova over the past three or four years. Every single guy is a three-point threat. Even Jeremiah Robinson Earl is shooting just about 35% from the three-point line. So that's an automatic advantage. When you think about teams like Duke, Trey Jones has like 10 feet of separation because he cannot hit the three-point. You see Ben Simmons in the NBA, same kind of thing. Every single player at Villanova can throw up a shot. Some guys were recruited to simply put up the shot like Cole Swider, should we talk about him? Just because, again, <laughs> X factor in terms of people are, who are going to make immediate impacts. Somebody who I think is still a wild card is Cole Swider and what type of player he's going to be this year. Oh, he definitely is. And it's funny that you mentioned that because Swider was actually who I wrote down as the guy I just need to see more from this year. Mm -hmm. Now, I think there's a pretty good possibility that he is the fifth starter tomorrow 
for Villanova and them moving forward. I do believe that guys off the bench are going to get a ton of minutes because that's how Jay Wright likes to run his teams. But I do, Swider is just someone that he, he needs to show more. I mean, he was better at the start of last season, and it was really exciting to see kind of Swider start to fulfill some of that potential. I mean, he had the massive game against Middle Tennessee State in the Myrtle Beach Invitational where yep. he had 26 points. But after that, it kind of completely tailed off, especially once the, the calendar hit 2020. His three-point percentage dropped to just 27%. For the rest of the season and for someone that is supposed to be a three-point shooter that's not good enough it, it, it's just not for someone that is not a very good defender his lateral quickness gets exploited a ton you saw that jay wright did not trust him a lot down the stretch i mean you look at the seton hall game he played two minutes the georgetown game he played four minutes like his minutes got drastically cut into the second half of the season you really hope that this summer was a huge opportunity for Swider to step back, work on some quickness, kind of figure out to add a couple more things to his game, and just be more efficient. Because he is talented. There's a reason he's here. He had an offer from Duke. Like th- This is a big-time player. He just is yet to come into his own. No, you're right. He was the 34-ranked recruit, and he was, not, he was higher than a lot of other guys because of that three-point shooting ability. And you said it, the first 12 games... He shot almost 46% from three the last 19 games, that 27%, like you said. So there was just a drop-off. And his defense, he's a liability, to put it nicely. To put it nicely. So many matchups, especially that what, what we haven't didn't mention at the beginning was the disappointing fact that Baylor won't be a part of this tournament anymore. That would have been a, a, potentially a national championship preview and it would have been a really good test for Villanova to see how those matchups pan out and to see what they can work on as the season goes on. But against those top-ranked opponents like Kansas, like Creighton last year, like Seton Hall, these teams are exploiting Cole Swatter. You said you nailed it exactly on the head. They know that he is the weak link on defense, so they're putting their best players against Swider, and they're just dominating him around the rim. So I think a lot of that is confidence, and I think Cole Swider's hesitant with the ball. You actually see that with Jermaine Samuels a little bit too. They're hesitant from the three-point lane line. But Cole Swider, if he was recruited to take those threes, he must. He must take those threes, and he must hit hit them. And the thing is, so I believe that Swider will be get the first crack at that fifth starter job. I think that fifth starter job can really rotate throughout the season. I think you're going to see Caleb Daniels. I think Brandon Slater's got a chance to come into it. We'll see how Brian Antoine develops. But as I mentioned those guys' names, if Swider doesn't perform, he's going to get buried on the bench. This is a very deep Villanova team. We haven't even mentioned Eric Dixon yet. Demir Cosby Roundtree as well, who's going to be injured to start the season. This this is a... Jay usually likes to play with a small rotation, but he's going to have a ton of guys that are going to be viable to be able to put out there. So if Swider is having another nightmare on, on defense and is not efficient from three, you're not going to see him very much. No, and we haven't dealt with bench depth in a couple of years. We had Dante DiVincenzo off the bench, but behind him it was... Bay, who was just a freshman, Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels were sophomores, still adjusting to the program. But this is Caleb Caleb Daniels, a transfer from Tulane, where he led the Tulane team. He was the Tulane team. It was just him putting everybody on his back. Brandon Slater played in every single game last season. No starts, but he was an integral part of this team. Same with... Eric Dixon is that redshirt. Antoine, aside from the injuries, he would have been an integral part of that team too. So it's going to be interesting how Jay Wright divides the minutes. That's something he's known for anyway. But you saw it when Cole Swider declined. And the other thing about Jay Wright is that he's never critical of his players in specific terms. So he's never going to say, nope, that was it for Cole Swider. He's done. He's always giving his guys a chance to perform. I think it's more on the the fan side and the media side. Cole Swider is going to get some heat if he doesn't come into this season really hot and sustain it because that was his problem last year. No, I completely agree with you. And then just just a point I want to kind of go towards that, that you mentioned there with the bench depth is that the guy, Caleb Daniels, as you said, transferred from Tulane. He's going to be a redshirt junior for, uh, or a redshirt, yes, redshirt junior, excuse me, for Villanova. I believe he is going to be the best bench player Nova has had since DiVincenzo. 
Just and I think he's going to be able to have wow. a similar impact coming off the bench. I mean, you look at him at Tulane, as you said, it was an awful Tulane team his sophomore season, four and twenty-seven. He as you said, he was the team averaging around seventeen points per game, five boards, three assists. He's a six four guard. He if Jay wants to play small, he can use him. He can use him out on the wing as well as Daniels has athleticism. You also have to factor in the point that he spent a year here already. So he's already ingrained in the culture. He's already ingrained in the physical uh, the requirements that, that Coach Shackleton requires. I think he has the chance to make a massive impact on Villanova this year. I am so excited to watch Caleb Daniels play. I think he gives them... Think of the guard depth that Villanova has this year. Gillespie, Moore, Daniels... And Antoine, when he comes back, Chris Archidiacono on the bench as well. That is scary. It is scary. And and Caleb Daniels also, the biggest thing about this Villanova program is that a lot of these freshmen don't play because the system is so important. I think the only thing holding Caleb Daniels back is adjusting to that system. So that's the only reason I'm pumping the brakes a little bit because he hasn't had any of that in-game experience yet. And it's hard for players to adjust early on. He has those playing years under his belt at Tulane, kind of a, an Eric Pascal position. Uh, posi- yeah, same position that Eric Pascal was in when he transferred from Fordham. But having Caleb Daniels off the bench, again, sliding into that Sadiq Bay role, that really effective guard who can drive to the rim, I think he fills into that role maybe better than anybody. I completely agree. And I have, as I said, I have massive hopes. For Caleb Daniels, and I think he will be a huge contributor for this team. We haven't even talked about the two best players on the team yet. That's funny that you say that, because so... I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> Maybe we should talk about Gillespie and JRE, because it's getting borderline weird at this point that we haven't. Um, I'll take JRE first, because I'm so excited about him. First of all, he chose Villanova over Kansas, despite being a McDonald's All-American Him and Antoine were the highest-ranked recruits we've had in a long, long time. And he absolutely lived up to those expectations. I said the stat earlier about freshmen never starting, and he was the star on this team last year as the big man. He started every single game. He shot 45% from the field, 33% from three, which is, again, another note to every single person on the floor being a threat from three-point land. He also had 9.4 rebounds and 10.5 points per game. Nine double-doubles last season. As a freshman, he had one of the highest rebounds per game ratio in all of Division I, and he nearly averaged a double-double. And he was a freshman, if I haven't mentioned it before. He's only going to get astronomically better. Yeah, for, for Robinson Earl, it's all about Act 2 now for his Villanova career. He is the second Wildcat to win Big East Freshman of the Year uh, since, or excuse me, the second Wildcat in the last three years to win Big East Freshman of the Year. I apologize, since Amari Spellman. Um, the, the one big thing that you look at with Robinson Earl that you really want him to see do better is turnovers. He led the team in turnovers with 2.2 per game. He's a really skilled passer for a big man, but he just forced too many passes last year. So if you can see him cut it back, still showcase those skills, but play it a little safer. I mean, think of him being able to to run the offense kind of from down low and how dangerous that is with the spacing and the shooters that Villanova are going to have this season. That's where Robinson Earl can really make people pay. And then as you said, just as a rebounder, he's, he's a freak on the boards. He's probably going to average a double-double. This season, he flirted with averaging a double-double for a very long time last season. He's only bigger. He's a year older. I'm super excited for Jeremiah Robinson. He's a Wooden Award uh, preseason. He's on the list, uh, as is Colin Gillespie as well. But, man, is he a blue chipper, and a a very, very exciting season awaits him. I credit a lot of the turnover issues to just him being adjusted to the system and him being a freshman too. Like it is a lot to put on this guy. I get that he had all those accolades coming in, but I think it was the the nerves and especially in those big games, it was the nerves. I mean, not to keep bringing up this Kansas game, but he's playing where he grew up. Basically he's playing against the team where he grew up, grew up the team that he chose Villanova over and he held his own against Udoka Azabuke, the biggest big, in Division One, and who he just was got able, drafted as well. He just got drafted, 
And that more than anything showed me that he's going to be able to hang in this environment because he might have the turnover problem again, the, the nerves, all that. But I think it, he was able to limit Azubuke to just a portion of what Doak usually does. And that was huge. And that was a, a huge reason why Villanova won that game. But you say same things. You're going to see similar matchups with Sandrew Mamukilashvili in Seton Hall. You see how easily I said his name right there? I'm really to, proud of you on that you. one. It took me a while to get that down when we did that game. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, but there are a lot of bigs in the Big East and then across – the nation too, that Jeremiah Robinson Earl is going to be able to prove himself against. And I think he's already shown flashes of being able to do that as a freshman. Oh, I I completely agree. And the thing that jumps off the page with Robinson Earl is his maturity. Just when you first see him, like talking to him, when, when I got to sit down with him at Big East Media Day last year, it just came off as someone that got it. And that's coming in as a freshman. I mean, you see how he, as you were saying, held his own from the start. I mean, think of that Army game where he just went out there and wowed everyone in his first game, first game as, of the season. as a collegiate athlete, put up yeah. a double-double. It was just absolutely phenomenal. So I only expect bigger and better things from Robinson Earl this year. I also expect that this will be his last year at Villanova because I think he's going to be that good and work himself into the first round uh, of the NBA draft. But Man, is he is a key cog to this team, as you said. It's Gillespie and Robinson Earl with some really strong supporting cast as well. But but these two are the ones that are going to make the team go. Yeah, they're they're the the Nismith Award, the, the preseason people to watch for that list and for Colin, a reason. Yeah, for a reason. And the leadership style, I think, is definitely not something to gloss over. And Colin Gillespie has come into that role so well. So he's he's a reserved guy. He's known for not being talkative at all during his press conferences, but the way he holds himself on the court just screams leader. And I know you're going to agree with me. You know how he learned that? From playing under Jalen Brunson. Because he is turning into Jalen Brunson. And how did Jalen Brunson's career turn out? He won the National Player of the Year and a National Championship in his final year at Villanova. Yeah, Jay Wright could not be happier with how Colin Gillespie's development has really occurred. I mean, think of Gillespie. He came in not as a highly touted recruit and then has grown into, as we just said, on the preseason watch list for the National Player of the Year. I mean, if you need a player to more encompass what we've talked about with culture and taking your time and development, it's staring at you right in the face with number two in Colin Gillespie. What, and you look at another point that you've brought up is about improvement over the years. From a freshman that did play in 32 games, which is very impressive, but only averaged four points, to 11 points his sophomore year, to 15 his junior year, and he could be flirting with around 20 this year. Again, you look at efficiency, a 36% shooter from beyond the arc, 41% overall. He is the field general out there. He runs the offense. He's a scrappy, tough, good defender. He runs the pick and roll well. He is the leader of this team. Colin Gillespie means so much to Villanova basketball, and he's poised to have another fantastic year. Yeah, and you talk about him being the field general. Also, that uptick in assists per game, 1.1 freshman year, 2.8 sophomore year, 4.5 junior year. I think that was top three in the Big East last season. So he's facilitating as well as being efficient on his own. And I think just the fact that that he's able to assist on so many of Villanova field goals, over 26% of points, Colin Gillespie has some hand in. And especially now, as a senior, he was the leader on, on this team as a junior because there weren't any seniors last year. Now he's a senior. He's gotten even more conditioning. He's going to continue to drop that turnover percentage that is a little bit of a concern there too but it dropped to 12.2 percent last year from over 13 percent the year before so it's definitely trending in the right direction there again if he can become even more locked down from the three-point line and if he can get to the rim just as Justin Moore Jermaine Samuels like Sadiq Bey did last year I think that makes him even more of a threat and that might differentiate him from the other point guards who are also in contention for the player of the year. Yeah, and listen, the the, the biggest thing that I, I look at for Gillespie is he has the chance to go down as a Villanova legend if he can lead this team to another national title this year. That'll be two 
in his in his collegiate career the same as Jalen Brunson did once as a freshman and then once in his final year so you see some similarities there but that's how good Gillespie has been and that's how good his potential is for this year so like Gillespie's role can, can never be understated he is the key cog to how Villanova play um, as good as Robinson Earl is, as much as I can gush about Justin Moore, everything runs through Colin Gillespie, and and he is Jay's main man out there. Yeah, and it's the same way Jalen Brunson was Jay Wright's main man, same way Ryan Archidiakono was Jay Wright's best man, right-hand man. And again, the other thing is that all these, it seems like all these college games have the NBA draft in mind, but it doesn't always have to be like that. Colin Gillespie might not be a first round pick and absolutely have a stellar career in the NBA, but he could very well win player of the year and get this national championship. And I don't think it always has to be about the future. He is a really, really good college basketball player. And I mean that as a complete compliment, just like Ryan Arch and Jalen Brunson were. And it's the Villanova edge. It's the same thing. It's the point guard being the leader of this team, facilitating this offense and then bringing the intensity on both sides of the court. No, I could not agree with you more. It, and like you said, it's not about the draft with Gillespie. And and you see that with a lot of these guys. And I actually think that's a limitation for guys that come into schools like Kentucky and Duke is that they have one eye on the NBA. That's not how Villanova runs most of their program. That's certainly not how Colin Gillespie has run his career. And that's not how it's going to work this year either. So it, with Gillespie, like I said, I think he's in for a big year. You've seen the incremental improvement year after year. He's the team leader, and he's got a chance to lead Villanova to greatness. Yeah, and I think they will, and I think it'll start tomorrow night. I think they'll whip Boston College. I don't think it'll be close at all. But I think it'll be— 13-point favorites. 13 points, is that what it's at? Yep. Yeah, they'll they'll easily cover that, I think. And, again, it's more so on Villanova's side, the third-ranked team in the country. I'm excited to see how this offense look looks— I'm excited to see Caleb Daniels, Cole Swider, Brandon Slater. We didn't we didn't talk about him too much, but if he can bring any sort of offensive side to his already really good defensive skills, I think that makes him better automatically. Absolutely. Slater's a fun one to watch. Um, Just how good he is defensively, how athletic he is towards the rim. Like you said, any semblance of a shot would be a positive at this point, but but it definitely will be an interesting player to watch. Yeah, any semblance of a shot. I like that. (laughs) He could become that lockdown defensive guy too. But yeah, Boston College, they haven't made a tournament appearance since 2009. They actually, one of their starters is Makai Ashton Langford, a transfer from Providence. So it'll be interesting to see how he transitions into that offense. But BC is really just recovering and recouping from last year. They lost six. They lost four of their top six scorers from last season. And I think this is just going to be more about whether Villanova can live up to the expectations that they have this season. Yeah, it's getting guys in the rotation. It's getting guys minutes. It's exposing guys like Caleb Daniels and, and Eric Dixon uh, and kind of playing around with the rotation, seeing how everyone goes. Then the big thing would be setting up a potential matchup with uh, number 18 Arizona State, Bobby Hurley's team um, on Thanksgiving night, which would be a very exciting title game. Yeah, and and just quickly looking to the schedule ahead, we only have it until the very end of December, right up until Christmas. We have a couple Big East games st- sprinkled in there. We have Texas on December 6th. I think that could be a good non-conference game to watch. And then once again, for the second year, the Big East Conference could be the most competitive conference in the nation. We saw it last year, and that's why, again, it was so disappointing for the conference to end the way it did because literally 1-9 to could have made a huge upset and completely changed the track of the tournament. Oh, it's very true, and also a Virginia game in December is going to be a massive, massive one. Uh, wherever that's held, whether it's on either campus or at a neutral site, they're still figuring that out. But man, is that going to be exciting? Because I think Tony Bennett has a fantastic squad there. And then, yeah, with the Big East is going to be very good. Creighton's going to be a top 10 contender yep. all season long. I think they are they are stacked. I'm still shocked that Tyshawn Alexander left them early because if he came back, wow. Um, with that with that roster that they have UConn's in the Big East this year. And, you know, they're not bad. They gave Villanova a really tough game. Last January, they're you know they're they're a tough team, and while I don't think they're great, I think they're going to give some people problems. Yeah, they're and, they're in the top five in the the preseason Big East rankings too. Uh, 
Oh, definitely. So th- this is going to be another very solid Big East year. I mean, obviously, Seton Hall is going to drop back a little bit with Miles Powell going. Marquette's going to drop back, losing Marcus Howard uh, a little bit. But I mean, it's going to be very competitive. Yeah, both those guys getting contracts in the NBA too. Miles Powell was much later than expected or deserved. But it was Completely so cool. Completely agree with that. Yeah, so cool to see them go too. And looking at the website, Pat, Virginia game is tentatively at MSG right now. There's okay because they had originally had it at MSG, then said it could possibly get moved because of COVID. So that would be great if it's at the Garden, yeah, um, even again, with no fans. You, you never know, especially now. But Virginia Nova at MSG that would be electric. Yes, it really would. And around Christmas time, it is. It's going to be a very exciting game, no matter where they play this thing. <laughs> yeah. So again, game. I think it tip off is nine thirty on Wednesday. Yes, night? where the Nova is the late game on Wednesday night. Yeah. And then we hope to see Nova and number 18 ranked Arizona State, some top 25 action early, which is super exciting. On on Thanksgiving, exactly. So, so yeah, so, again, we'll have a lot of Villanova content as we go forward. We're so excited for the college basketball season. And, again, we keep our fingers crossed that everything goes smoothly, smoothly, whether it's in a bubble situation or what. We just want to get college basketball and get as much Villanova content out there as possible because we love it and we love talking about it. Make that bubble happen so we have a season. Yes, <laughs> That's, please. That is the simplest way I can put it. But are you ready to get into our uh, statistics of the week? Yeah, let's go. Hit me with it. Cool. All right. So I will start then and I will take it to college football and the Heisman race, something that we haven't really touched on yet. And my number is 31. And that is the new record the new SEC record set by Kyle Trask for most touchdowns through first seven games of a season breaks Joe Burrow's record, which he tied last year with Tim Couch. That's 29 touchdowns was the initial record. Trask now at 31, the quarterback of Florida. I think that the Heisman sitting here on November 24th is a done deal. I think that Kyle Trask should be the Heisman. I think Trask has been phenomenal. 31 touchdowns, three picks for a high-powered Florida offense. Florida is going to be in the national title. Um, or the wow. College, the co- excuse me, college football playoff <laughs> um, conversation, especially with a, a possible SEC title game waiting for them. Um, I could not be higher on Trask. I've watched a ton of his games. He is so impressive in the pocket. The one loss coming, a three-point loss to Texas A&M in which he had four touchdowns and no picks. I love Kyle Trask. Trevor Lawrence has missed multiple games. Mac Jones at Alabama has been very good, but it's still not enough for me to overtake Trask. I love Kyle Trask. I'm super high on Kyle Trask, and I think he will be your 2020 Heisman. Wow, you're that dead set on him. Absolutely. Wow. I wasn't expecting that at all, actually, (laughs) at all. The Heisman is so interesting this year because – there are so many other factors at play other than just quarterback talent. Yeah, which like is a, COVID. Yeah, which is a bummer <laughs> because Fields came in at a disadvantage because the Big Ten was behind number of yep. games. He's playing less games anyway. Lawrence has been sidetracked for three weeks now. And there's just so many other factors that go into it. And I think it's getting kind of swayed at this point. But I like that about Kyle Trask. And I also think wins, Mina Kimes always say it quarterback wins is not a stat if Kyle Trask is the best quarterback in the nation it will be because of his numbers not because of how good his team is and you see the same thing with Zach Wilson at BYU BYU might not make the college football playoff but he has thrown for the third most yards in the FBS and he's tied for second with 26 touchdowns let's start giving credit for these quarterbacks who are running away with these accolades who are the most talented players on the field and just because their team isn't a perennial contender like Alabama or Clemson or Notre Dame these quarterbacks are still unbelievable yeah no you're completely right and you can throw Trey Lance in there as well as another quarterback that is fantastic but not at a traditional powerhouse being at North Dakota State So I completely agree with you there. And Justin Fields actually was who I thought was going to win this award going into the season. 
But I just think that's going to be so difficult, like you said, with the disadvantage with the Big Ten starting late. I mean, he's had a phenomenal start to the season as well. 13 touchdowns. He's already equaled his amount of interceptions from last year. I was but just going to say. Crazy enough, it's only three still was what he had <laughs> last year, which shows how crazy of a year he had for Ohio State last year. And then the biggest thing that I look at is his completion percentage is an ungodly 80 yeah, percent that that doesn't now yes part of that is a product of ohio state's offense but it's also how talented justin fields is i love justin fields i love him as a pro prospect but if you're looking at the heisman it is all kyle trask yeah you, you please tell me you still think joe burrow has and will have forever the best college football season ever not even debatable okay good no just nothing will ever i'm not i shouldn't say nothing will ever but <laughs> nothing in the immediate future i believe will be able to top joe burrow for the At year that he point. had yes yeah and we we wish him the best that was a horrible injury that he suffered on sunday he'll be out for at least nine to twelve months which is horrible for him horrible for the sport horrible for fans horrible for cincinnati it's it's so sad but if, if we know anything about him, it's that he'll come back stronger than ever. So that at Absolutely. least gives me some solace. Now, we wish Joe Burrow well and hope he can recover as soon as possible because he is a talent and we will all be better off once he's playing football games again. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like your take. You convinced me about Kyle Trask. I like that. Mac Jones has been really, really good. I'm yep. curious to see if when Trevor Lawrence does come back, which he's expected to this upcoming weekend – Will he get right back into that tip-top shape, and will he bring himself back into this conversation simply because of his name and his stature? That'll that'll be something to watch. Yes. Now, I do think that Lawrence is going to go out there and absolutely annihilate Pitt and, and just put up some crazy numbers, being that I think he's pretty upset, you know, missing the past couple games and the fact that um, Clemson's game against Florida State got uh, understandably postponed against Florida State or I said that already, understandably postponed for the weekend is what I meant to say. Um, But I just missing the multiple games, I think is just going to be too much. And he's not going to be able to win a Heisman because of that. Yeah, I agree. But you know, he'll probably be fine because he will. I think he'll be okay. The number one overall pick to the winless New York Jets. Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) What's your number? Okay. I am so excited to tell you this number. I was sitting watching the Monday night football game between the Rams and the Buccaneers And this stat came up on my TV, and I paused the TV so that I could write it down because I immediately thought, this is the craziest stat I have heard this week. And that's the entire point of this segment. I was absolutely mind-blown by this. So here it is. The number is 32. It was 30. Oh, my God. We had the same number. You had 31, right? 31. Close. So 31 was the number last night. Because of the win, it is now 32. Since... 2017, under head coach Sean McVay, the Rams are 32-0 and when leading at half. Wow. You don't, you don't hear that. 32-0. All other teams in the league have at least two losses. At least two. And the Rams have none. And, you know, I really like hearing that because after last year, I feel like a lot of people started to bail on Sean McVay a year removed from a Super Bowl, mind you. And then you see what the Rams have been much better this year. I, I, that It's a crazy number because that's just so insane to never blow leads ever. Right. And that, that's awesome here because I am a big McVay fan and I think he's a phenomenal coach. Wow, people that were is starting, incredible. People were starting to turn away from Sean McVay's offense. And I think a big point of that was because they had such a horrible Super Bowl appearance. Oh, it was a god awful. Thirteen game. to three was the final score, right? Yes. Like three points in a Super Bowl, that is a tough tough pill to swallow for the fan base and for the the whole staff there. But also to convince the nation that you have a competent offense. That's hard. Same kind of things last year. But the Rams are known for their defense. We all know that. They were able to stop Tom Brady last night, who I think could have easily changed that to 31 and 1 just because of who Tom Brady is. They held the Bucks to only 251 total yards, but on the offensive side, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, are you kidding? They had 22 catches in total, I believe. O- over 100 yards both. Those are both young, up and coming, underrated wide receivers in the league. Jared Goff is liable 
but I think he has enough flashes of greatness to lead this team. And they have so many options at the running back position that it gives them a ton of versatility. But I am 100% with you. Sean McVay deserves more credit for bringing this team where, where they are. They're now tied for first in the division. Seven and three, the Los Angeles Rams. And they have a relatively easy schedule to finish out besides facing the Seahawks. But the Rams could very easily get the bye as winners of the NFC West. Excuse me, NFC West. They could definitely win the NFC East, too. (laughs) I could win the NFC East (laughs) at this point by myself. But I think this game, when they brought it all together in that last drive before half, when they were able to get three points up, that's what Sean McVay is. It's capitalizing in the moments that matter. And the Rams proved that they're legit Monday night. No, I completely agree. And just quickly on Robert Woods, too, I absolutely agree on him. I think he's actually one of the better receivers in the league, especially with with yards after catch. And just one thing I want to point out, too, with the Rams, it just shows how impressive I thought that win really was, was that Andrew Whitworth, it's weird to say it, but their franchise left tackle, even at 36 years of age, they allowed zero sacks last night. Zero against a decent Tampa Bay defense. That is really impressive. That showed that McVay knew he had to get the ball out quick. That showed that the offensive line played well. And that's a big win for the Rams yesterday. They're they're only 3-3 three and three on the road, but they're 7-3 and three overall. And like you said, right in the thick of things in the NFC West. Yeah, that looks good. And Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey are going to be there on defense. They are going to be set on defense. But now is the time to start giving some credit to that offensive line, like you said. And also Jared Goff to adjusting to this system and realizing that he needs to get the ball out quickly, and that's what he did. Absolutely. Big win for the Rams last night. Big win for the Rams. Those were We had very similar numbers, which is funny. We, we did. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about these numbers beforehand because I like the, the excitement of it going in. But I think those were some incredible stats for both of us today. Yeah, no, another, another very exciting week, and now we get into college basketball finally starting up. Yeah, so once again... Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to follow us on socials at Did You Hear Pod. We're so excited to get into college basketball season to bring more Villanova content. And as always, to keep bringing you stats and storylines you won't hear anywhere else. Thanks, guys.